to the Word of God today. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to study. Uh, we thank you for what you have revealed through your Holy Spirit and through this Word from you. But I pray that this would not be just an exercise of our minds, but this would truly be an exercise of our hearts. For your word is living and active, is sharper than any two-edged sword to divide soul and spirit. And I pray today that it will do that in our hearts. Uh, perform your surgery today, Lord, in my heart and in the hearts of my brothers and sisters as we go to the word together. Amen. Obedience is not our favorite topic. Let's be honest. No one likes to talk or think about obedience. It's a lot more fun to talk about having a good time or pleasing ourselves or maybe doing nothing at all, but not obedience because obedience is a downer. It's not fun to think about obeying someone or being forced to do whatever pleases them. Now, we don't mind telling someone else what to do. We just don't like to be the one being told what to do. Kids and adults have the same problem. It's part of our fleshly nature that is selfish, self-seeking. It's not in our fleshly nature to want to obey someone else. And so obedience is our topic today. Obedience, service, loving God. We're continuing our series of the stories of Jesus, the parables. And this morning we're actually going to look at three of them. The parable of the vineyard workers, the parable of the tenants, and the parable of two sons. I want to start actually with the last one, the parable of the two sons. Because it illustrates most simply the point that Jesus was making, I think, in all three parables. So I want to kind of set the stage for this parable of the two sons, because it's a pretty fast one. It's found in Matthew 21. If you have a Bible, if you can find one in a seat in front of you, turn over to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, and go to chapter 21. And let's look at it just briefly together and lead into this parable. In Matthew 21, we read about Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. The multitudes of people, common people like us, adored him. They were excited. They were, they were praising God because Jesus was coming into their city. Because they imagined that Jesus was the deliverer. He was the Messiah. He was the one that was not only going to heal their diseases as he had been doing for several years now and feed their hunger, which they had been doing for several years now, but he was also the one that was going to become their earthly king and he was going to drive these filthy Romans out of the country now forever. And they're excited. But the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, not so excited. They saw Jesus as a troublemaker. They worried that he was going to bring the Romans down on their heads even more fiercely than ever. And the Jewish leaders saw Jesus as this enormous problem that they needed to deal with once for all. They just needed to find a nice, clean way to get rid of him. They had already decided to kill him. So the confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees is going to happen. And it's probably going to happen repeatedly 
in this last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Kind of an odd thing. Not what they expected. People are still praising him. They're still throwing down their garments and their palm branches, and they're saying, Blessed is the Son of David. Uh, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And Matthew tells us that at the end of this journey, Jesus went straight to the temple, and there he once again drove the men selling sacrifices and their buyers out of the temple. He had done this once before. He goes in and drives them out, causes a big scene. And above the commotion, he shouts, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of robbers, thieves. And when that dust settled, Matthew says, that the lame and the blind started coming to Jesus at the temple. And he healed them. And the people started murmuring again. And then it got louder and louder. Hosanna to the son of David. There was this general feeling in the crowd, isn't Jesus amazing? Isn't, isn't this the most wonderful day of our lives? But Matthew says the chief priests and the teachers of the law were indignant that these things were happening. They turned to Jesus and they said, don't you hear what these children are saying? You know, these people don't know what they're talking about. Don't you hear this? Why don't you reject this? This isn't right. And Jesus says, yeah, I hear it. Haven't you ever read out of the mouths of children and infants you have ordained praise? And disgusted with that whole attitude, he left. He left the temple. He walked a couple miles to Bethany, spent the night there, probably at the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And early the next morning, he gets up and he's heading back to Jerusalem. These events are still fresh in his mind, and he's making his way back to the city to continue teaching and preparing for his own death. And on the way, he finds this fig tree, and he he goes up to the fig tree expecting something to eat because he's hungry. And the fig tree is a barren fig tree. There's no fruit on that tree. And he curses the tree, and he says, may you never bear fruit again. And the tree withers before their eyes. Now, I wondered, was he thinking about the chief priests and the Pharisees when he cursed the fig tree? Was he also pronouncing God's curse on them because they were like that barren tree? They were supposed to be bearing fruit for God, and there was nothing. Well, anyway, he proceeds to the temple. And once again, he's confronted by the Jewish authorities. And in the presence of all the people gathered there, they ask Jesus this question, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Basically, they're asking, who do you think you are, anyhow? Who put you in charge? And Jesus replied, you know, if you can just tell me one thing, I'll answer your question. If you'll just tell me where John, the baptizer, got his authority, then I'll tell you where I get mine. You know, the reason he said that is because they got the authority from the same place, didn't they? They both got their authority from God. God brought them in from outside, and he said, This is my chosen servant. And John pointed to Jesus, and now Jesus, the Son of God, is ready to tell them everything they need. Now, the leaders showed their utter contempt and their complete failure to honor God by what they did next. It says that they got their heads together, and they said, We're not sure what to say. If we say John got his authority from God, then Jesus and the people will say, well, why didn't you believe him? 
And if we say, well, it was from man, then the people will be upset with us because they all counted John as his prophet, as this amazing man of God. And so they go back to Jesus and they said, we don't know where John got his authority, <laughs> which is ridiculous because they did. They just wouldn't admit he had that authority. Now, I, I'm surprised that Jesus didn't say to them, well, here's the problem. <laughs> Here's the, here's the whole problem right here. You don't even know where John came from. You're certainly not going to know where I came from. And immediately he told this parable. Immediately. Chapter 21, verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and he said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. The man's two sons had similar attitudes, but very different actions. They neither really wanted to obey their father at the beginning. But one of them was truthful about it. One of them was honest about his intentions. And he told his father, I'm not going to do that. The other one lied. The other one pretended that he was willing to obey his father. He said, I'll go into the fields today. But he never even left the house. He did whatever he wanted to do, rather than what his father wanted. The first son, however, regretted what he had said. And after a period of time, he said, you know, I think I should. I think I will. And he went out and worked in his father's vineyard that day. Not because he was always good, not because he was always obedient, but because he had changed his mind and changed his ways and become the obedient son that his father wanted. Now, what's the point of this parable? Look at verses 31 32 again. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, tax collectors and prostitutes are going to get into heaven ahead of you. And he points his finger at the Pharisees and the leaders, the Jewish leaders. And he said, You're like. Someone in this story. Which one? <laughs> and they knew the point of the story. The first changed his mind and became the obedient son. That's the prostitutes and the tax collectors. But the others steadfastly pretended to obey, but never obeyed. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. It doesn't matter what we say we will do when it comes to obedience. What matters is what we actually do when it comes to obedience. It doesn't matter what we profess Sunday morning. It doesn't matter what we sing. It doesn't matter what we pray, what we declare when we are assembled with God's church. What matters is what we do with the faith that we have, what we do the rest of the week when we're out in the world living for Jesus. Now, as soon as this discussion ended, Jesus went into another parable, the parable of the tenants. Let's read starting verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a wine press in it. And he built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. 
when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another. They stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and we can take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Then I think Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said, Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they answered, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. The Jewish leaders got the point. They knew where they fit in this story. Jesus was confronting their attitudes of pride and and stubbornness of heart and disobedience. The Pharisees saw themselves as as being owners themselves, as, as being as close to God as someone possibly could be when they were actually further away from him than even the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Here's a question for us this morning. question in all of these parables. Are we Pharisees? How much like the Pharisees might we be? Because some of us have known the Lord for a long time. Some of us have gone to church our whole life. Some of us profess a great deal of faith in God. But how much is our attitude more like the attitude of the Pharisees or of these evil tenants or of the disobedient son than even the attitude of prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. Do we really know God? Do we we really love God? Do we really obey Him because of that love? You know, we are free to serve, the video said. Have we chosen that? Are we rejoicing in that opportunity? When I read this parable again, I thought of what James said in James 1.22. says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And we can play all these games with ourselves and read the word and say the word and speak the word and sing the word. And God's always interested, are we doing the word? When Jesus told the parable of the two sons, he was saying what we do is more important than what we say. When Jesus told the parable of the tenants, it was obvious the tenants had tried to take the place of God, the master, God, the owner. They were like the parable uh, that he had told just a day or two before, the parable of the vineyard workers. That's why we're doing three. I want you to get back to that one. Because even before he entered Jerusalem, he knew this was coming. He knew who was against him. And he knew the attitude so well of these Pharisees. And so let's go back to chapter 20 and let's read the first few verses of that chapter. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever's right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour, and again about the ninth hour, and he did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and he found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. 
He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious? Because I am generous. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. You know, all the workers in this parable received a wage, a fair wage, the going wage for a day's work. Everyone had agreed that they would work for that right pay, whatever it might be. And the first ones, he told them, this is what you're going to get. They said, sounds good. And they went to work. What they didn't expect was for other people who were hired late in the day to get the same pay as them. And so when those guys at the 11th hour and the 9th hour and the 6th hour all got this Daenerys, they're thinking, wow, you know, they only worked an hour. They only worked three hours. Man, what are we going to get? And when they got to the top of the list, they got the same amount they had agreed to. And that didn't seem fair. Even though they were receiving what they had been promised, they were upset when the boss paid the guys who had only worked an hour or two the same wage he paid the ones who had worked for eight or nine hours, right through the heat of the day. And we may even agree with their assessment. We may say in our own minds that the owner seems unjust here. This, this isn't fair. This isn't right. Why did the guy that only worked a little bit in the cool of the evening get the same amount as the guy that went through the heat of the day? But that was the master's right. Do not miss this point. That was the master's right. Who was the master? Who was the owner? Who was the one in charge and could call the shots and do whatever he wanted to do? He had not cheated anyone. He had actually been extremely fair, and more than fair, he had been generous. And he could, as the owner, do whatever he wanted to do with his money. And we need to get that straight because sometimes we get into the position where we think we're the owner. That we're the manager. That we're the one calling the shots. The master, in this case God, was actually exercising grace. People struggle with grace. God was being generous. And people struggle with God's generosity. In the bigger context, this confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the workers who thought they had earned the Master's favor. They had read the law. They had studied the law. They were wearing the right robes. They were washing their hands when they were supposed to. They were being very careful to follow the letter of the law in every way so that God would have to smile on them. And they were like the worker who went through the heat of the day thinking, I'm going to get what I deserve. They could not imagine someone being generous toward the other workers who didn't 
deserve anything. What about our attitude? Do we feel that we have somehow earned a special place with God? A special place in God's heart because we have been a Christian a long time? Do we criticize and condemn so freely the people of this world who do not know God yet because their lives are not as clean and as righteous as ours? Do we find ourselves looking down our noses a little bit at people? Man, I wish they'd get their act together. I really don't want to hang around with them because, man, their life is a mess. I just want to hang around people that know God. I just want to hang around people that, that have a lifestyle like mine. It's clean, neat, and good. Have we begun to think that our relationship with God is based on earning His favor? Have we forgotten that all of us can only grovel before God because of His grace? Have we forgotten that it has nothing to do with our good works? It has nothing to do with our righteousness? It has all to do with Jesus and what He has paid. You know, I have a friend that has trouble holding a job. In the last two years, he's worked about six or seven places. That's not holding a job very long. And I started to figure out why he loses his job. It's because he's got a temper, and he shows that temper at work. But it's more than that. The attitude needs an adjustment. Because over and over again, after a period of time of working in that manager's, that owner's kitchen, preparing food for the customers, he eventually realizes he knows better than the owner how that should be done. And sooner or later, sometimes in a few weeks, sometimes in a few months, he spouts off and he tells the owner the way it should be done, that he's wrong and it should be done this way. And he gets fired. This has happened six or seven times in two years. And so I've talked with him and I said, you got an attitude problem here. You're never going to keep a job until you realize you're not the owner. You're not the manager. You're not the one calling the shots. If you would just be a good, obedient worker... It's not that they're doing anything immoral or wrong. It's just a way of doing things. And you can't live with somebody else being in charge. And when I thought about it, I thought, there are Christians like that. There are sometimes in my life when I'm like that. And I think of myself as the owner. I had an interesting question from my granddaughter the other day. She said, who's your boss? And so I said, well, God. She says, yeah, but, you know, who, who's, who's your boss? And I said, well, the, the congregation, the, the elders. And she, I don't think she was really satisfied with that answer. But I, I got, you know, really thinking, who do you work for? Because you work for somebody. You're not the owner. Some people try and make me the owner of a church or something. They try and, you know, take a pastor. I don't know if they do this to you, Pastor Dilshaw. You know, you're the owner of this. and You manage it. You run the whole thing. That's not the case at all. All of us are servants. We are not in a position to call the shots. He's the master. He calls whosoever he will. He blesses them with his grace and honor. It doesn't have anything to do with whatever we have earned because he's operating by grace, not justice. Thank God he is not operating by justice. You want fair? You're crazy. You want what you deserve? You're insane. Because what you deserve, what I deserve, is called hell. And we must never, ever forget that.
It serves no purpose to question God. It serves no purpose to second-guess Him. It serves no purpose to balk at His commands or to refuse to obey. We're only hurting ourselves when we do. And when the video said it's free to serve, there's truth in that. It's, it, it's upside down. It's different than the world thinks. You know, it's free to rule, free to be in charge. No, it's free to serve and to give your life. I met uh, Pastor Dilshad this week, and I'd tell you quickly his story. I hope I get all of it right, this is as he told me. He's an optometrist, trained in Pakistan, and ended up in Korea. I think it was a little easier lifestyle there, a little more uh, suited to good finances. And while he was there, he went to a conference at the largest church in the world. You've probably heard of Paul Yonggi Cho, and a church in, in South Korea. Um, and they had this conference, but God spoke to his heart there and laid a vision upon his heart to say, you don't need to be here in Korea. You need to go back to Pakistan. And you need to start reaching people for Christ. It's against the law to do that. You can't share your faith openly in Pakistan. You can't speak to somebody about Jesus, or you could be killed instantly or in prison. But God says you're going to do that through children's work, through working with the orphans of Pakistan. So he and his wife went back to, pa to Pakistan and began their children's home with a couple of boys they found on the street there. And their ministry has grown through the years to 47 children in the orphanage. I think that's right. About 300 children in their Christian school. And in addition, they've started some education centers around the area. They now teach several hundred more children every week. And... Uh, they conduct, uh, you know, the teaching, the, the daily ministry, the just caring for kids. And because these are orphan kids that nobody cares about, they can teach them about Jesus. And so they do. And many of them have come to Christ. They have a congregation now of about 130 people. And they have this very interesting outreach uh, plan that I, I was really uh, enamored with when I heard it. You can't speak openly about Christ, so what they do is they have about 30 dedicated people that will go into the marketplace day after day with a bag of books, and they're selling these books. They're just salesmen, and they'll go up to the, the merchant or whoever, and they'll say, I've got these books for sale. Are you interested? One's a science book, one's a math book, one's a general education book, and so on. And I have this little book for sale also, and it, it's about Jesus and Christianity. Just a little bit about that. Uh, you can buy that if you want. Well, most of the Muslims, it's 98% Muslim in uh, Pakistan, most of them are curious. And so it's the cheapest book in the bag, and they buy that book. <laughs> <laughs> and while they're selling it, they realize they're not breaking the law because you can sell books. You just can't talk about Jesus. And, and so they're writing out the receipt. They get their name, their phone number, their address and all, and they give them their receipt on this book. And they go home with this little book, and a week later, they call this person who bought their book, and they said, what do you think? And they say, well, they like that book. And they said, well, I have another book. And so they sell them another book that's a little bit bigger book, and it's more about Jesus, more about Christianity, and starting to explain things a little bit better. And they buy that book. And again, it's legal because they're buying the book. Third week, they call, get the same story. You want another book? Got another one. Fourth week, and eventually they're getting to where they're sharing the New Testament, the Word of God with them. And from that, people are coming to know Jesus Christ. 
because the Word of God is living and active, and that's what it does in people's lives. Now, the reason that I told you that, and I, the reason that I'm happy that Pastor Dilshaw could be here today, is because I want you to capture something. I want you to capture obedience. Because when he was in Korea, and God was saying, go back to Pakistan, he said, that's not a good place to be. I can't make the money there that I make here. That's not a safe place to be for my wife, and now they have four children of their own. It's not, it's not an easy place to share the gospel. It's, it, it could be deadly. And God said, that's where I want you to go. That's what I want you to do. And since 1998, that's what they've been doing. Are you obedient? Am I obedient? Are we listening to the Spirit of God? Do we get it? We are servants of the Lord, not masters. And it is only by God's grace that we have been brought into his family and invited, given the privilege to love and to serve him out of gratitude. Like the second son in the first parable today, we may think that our profession to love and obey God is enough. You know, I love God. I obey God. I believe in God. When in fact, we are still just living for ourselves, doing whatever we want. We may think, like the evil tenants, that we know better than God. And we want the inheritance all for ourselves, for our enjoyment. But God calls us to repent of our selfishness and pride. We may, like the vineyard workers, think that somehow we deserve God's favor. But all of us must repent of that attitude. And throw ourselves upon the mercy and grace of God again. I want us to finish our service today with just a time of very real and genuine and honest prayer. If you want to come forward in a moment when we're singing and just you know go across the front here, maybe you want to kneel down here. I don't know what you want to do. But if God is, is just hammering you today and God is speaking to your heart today and saying, you know, you've got to get this obedience thing right. I'm in charge. I'm the master. And as God is gripping you today, I want you to pray like you've never prayed before. And I want you to ask for God's mercy and grace in your life. And ask for God to show you the way of obedience. And for you to have the willingness to humble yourself. James tells us if we will humble ourselves before the Lord, he will lift us up. But if we are proud, we will be cast aside. Just a moment, we're going to be singing. If you want to come forward and pray and ask others to pray for you, great. If you want to pray where you are, I want this to be very real. I don't want you to think about anybody else. I want you to think about what your neighbor thinks or your spouse or your children or anything. This is between you and God. We're going to pray and then we're going to sing and pray some more. Father, I thank you for this time. And for these parables of Jesus, so rich and so powerful, and yet so simple, they strike to the very heart of who we are. And Father, I acknowledge my own disobedience. I acknowledge those times in my life when you have made it very clear 
what you want me to do and I have resisted and I have put it off and I've actually done what I wanted to do instead of what you wanted me to do. For my brothers and sisters here in Christ, I pray that we would have some very real moments before you right now and that we would be sure not to pretend, to wear a mask, but to be honest and true and sincere in our prayers. Bless this time to your glory so that your servants can be free to serve. Through Christ we pray. Amen. We're going to sing.